Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Aesthetic Insider Radio Show. This is your host, Angela O'Mara. Aesthetic Insider is a 360-degree aesthetic medical industry news source. We encompass um, digital and print media and um, radio. And today we have a really special guest with us, um, a fellow Brit. We have Dr. Lavinia Chong, a board-certified plastic surgeon from Newport Beach, California. Um, Lavinia, Dr. Chong, um, thank you so much for joining us here on Aesthetic Insider and welcome to the show. Great honor to be here, Angela. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Dr. Chung, you know, I'd love it if you wouldn't take a minute to um, just give us a little background about you and um, your practice and where you're located. Hi. Um, well, I've, I've, I'm actually a Brit, a Chinglish, because I'm Chinese ethnically, but born in Britain. <laughs> and I've been a, a local in Orange County since 1972 when my, my late father moved the, the the clan out here. Um, we're located in the Newport Medical Center and have been here since 1974. <laughs> so the office I occupy has always been occupied by one of the Chong plastic surgeons. Wow, um, wow, that's quite a long time. I've had, um, I've, I've raised my family here and I've brought another Brit back to work here and he's a, he's an architect in, in town. And uh, I count myself to be very fortunate to be a second-generation plastic surgeon, um, practicing with my father a little bit. Um, I have been board certified, and I've gone through the vigors of recertifying, as surgeons of my vintage have to recertify every 10 years. And I'm very, very happy to have an ambulatory surgical suite in my office, premises, which has been in good standing since 1996. Last thing to say about is... uh, I'm a great avid yogi, and I've been practicing for six years. <laughs> you know, that's kind of that. I think is fascinating that you are a second-generation plastic surgeon. I don't think too many plastic surgeons can say that. So, what does that mean to you, and how do you feel that kind of offers an added benefit to your patients? Well, I mean, growing up in Britain, we all speak about tradition, and um, but tradition has to be predicated on something that is really relevant. And I think the tradition I learned from my father was really to to try to te- treat people very honestly and to understand their problems and to to really match the solutions if those were available. However, as a second-generation plastic surgeon, I have to be a woman of my generation, and I have to consider all the innovations that are that are bounding up and you know the recent uh, techniques and or um, surgical options which are pro- promising to make old techniques obsolete and you know we have to weigh those so that we can continue to provide a very uh, safe and uh, predictable response for our patients. Well you know I think it's great that you say that because I mean you know um, I like you I've been in this in- industry for quite some time and, and there's been so many changes and there's so much now I think what that plastic surgeons can do with technology um, you know, and providing less downtime, different approach to aging, um, especially the aging face or the aging female. Um, is there anything in particular, you know, that that you would consider is pretty much obsolete at this point or has been replaced with a new technology or a new method of treatment? I think a, a technology that I actually am I'm going to be very upfront that I actually tried 
and I've abandoned, I think has pretty much been abandoned, other other string lifts, the string facelifts that that actually first made their debut, debut in the 70s. And I can remember vividly telling my dad that I put down my registration to learn how to do these again in probably in the early part of the 2000s, 2004 or 5. And his response was, well, is that that technique that the Russian father and son technique uh, duo came up with? And I said, yes. Did you know anything about it? He goes, well, have fun. You know, it doesn't work. (laughs) So I think a lot of these string lifts that um, depend on hanging a woman's or a person's face with barbed sutures really have limited applicability because it's really putting the emphasis on the wrong layer. And if you are going to hang a picture on the picture wire, that'd be fine because it's not moving. But a facial a face has got part of its charm because it has the ability to, to create expressions. And I, I think a lot of these barbed sutures produced pretty suboptimal results. And in my mind, that's why they're no longer um, a going concern. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, facial surgery and mummy makeovers, um, you know, are a specialty of yours from what I understand. Um, so what would you say is your signature approach to, you know, um, aging, the aging face and beautifying or, you know, in the case of a male surgery, you know, remasculinizing a face? Um, you know, what is is your approach now, you know, in the 2000s? I think, you know, our generation has come over that part where things have to be tight because tight doesn't mean younger. And many times I'll ask people to bring me back a picture of themselves 10, 15 years ago when they liked their features so I can kind of figure out how they aged because there have been some really phenomenal studies done by the um, practices of Joel Pesser, who's an oral surgeon, and Rod Rorick, who's a very well-renowned plastic surgeon in Dallas, which have concentrated on post-mortem dissections to show where areas of facial anatomy change, in particular um, facial fat loss. And so looking at that and looking at the previous pictures of of the young face before the changes became objectionable, you can go back and plan where that fat can either be re resupported or re um, repositioned, or if you need additional um, soft tissue coverage. So, I think that works well for the average aging face. But there are also gender biases which need to be respected because almost everybody will say, "I don't want you know any of the male plastic plastic surgery celebrity faces because they are so stigmatized by." lateral sweeps by pixie ears by brows that are way too way too high or eyelids that are tightened up and almost look like they belong in asiatic when the the patient is is caucasian so i think it's very important to respect that there are differences for gender um race and to to try to keep those um in in the mix because some of the best plastic surgery really goes undetected because it is so natural and it's it's it makes makes the average observer know not not be able to detect it yeah you know it's interesting that you say that about either preserving facial features or animation or or you know returning those features back i am recently a friend of mine underwent a procedure with with a female plastic surgeon and um and it was for a wedding and she was she didn't really want to have surgery um, on her face but she wanted to have 
fillers or something to, you know, just give her a more youthful look. And, and uh, Voluma was one of the things that, that she had, you know, injected into her cheek area. And when I saw her, she was beaming. She was so happy. And she said to me, look, I have my dimples back. And I thought that was so cute because it was that was something that she'd lost <laughs> and didn't realize she'd lost it until she'd had a treatment and then was so happy because the dimples to her meant she'd returned to a youthful appearance. Um, I think it's very important to, to let the patient still look in the mirror and say, that's me, and that's not somebody else's vision of me because, you know, in my time when I was learning how to do brow lifts, I was taught to raise as high as I could. But, you know, that's given us generations of women who look like deer in the headlights or they're permanently surprised. And some of them couldn't even close their eyelids. So I think you've got to really stop and think not only as a surgeon and a purveyor of services, but as a consumer, what is it that I want to achieve? What techniques are available? Am I healthy enough for these ones? And does a, does the person who's offering them to me seem like they understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, and you know, and that like so the natural look is so is so important. Um, you know, with with the aging phase, which is kind of what we're talking about at the moment, and I do later want to have a chat with you about mommy makeovers because I know that's such in in high demand, and and a lot of our listeners really want to learn more about that. Um, but natural looking faces. Um, what, how do you determine the difference between whether a patient is a surgical candidate or a non-surgical? Or do you do you listen to what the patient is saying in terms of, I do want surgery, I don't want surgery? Like, you know, how do you go about making that judgment call? I think it's just like any medical student does. You take a history, find out if there are any medical conditions which would exclude them from having a more extensive surgical operation, and then you look at the physical physical findings and then we sit down and we I usually will go through and and put out a list of non-surgical procedural and surgical options because you know I'll tell people well you can choose one from column a or column b or c or none at all it's not going to hurt my feelings you know figure out what's in your 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 comfort zone what's in your budget and in your and basically in your health health interests because I think if we don't make all those um, areas continent, then you may end up having a disappointed patient. Yeah. Now, when you do that, because you know, I'm sure there are times when a patient perhaps is choosing to have maybe a lesser invasive procedure, whether it's because of time, whether it's cost, you know, um, not health concerns, of course, but. Um, how do you explain to a patient that perhaps they're not going to get as full benefit by kind of not having the recommended treatment, um, well, or that know, they're going to get a lesser a lesser result? I guess. You know, I I think it's very important to under um, to under um, set the expectations low and and deliver more than you can. And so, yeah, in that sense, yeah. I will say to people, you know. In my mind, if you want, uh, and I I will basically just reposition their facial skin or their facial features and their neck and say, if this is what you want, then I think you're probably going to be better served by having a surgical issue. However, if you're motivated to try a lesser non-surgical skin tightening one, it'll give you this much, and then we can actually go physically and just, um, just 
loosen the amount of uh, redrape on the skin of the face or the neck, and that way they can say, well, okay, well, but I'll let them know up ahead at the time that these are the 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 disadvantages that you have a, an obligatory downtime with surgery. You have the uncertainty of bruising and how the wounds will heal, whereas with the non-surgical ones, you will have relatively little downtime, perhaps some bruising, but nothing that would take you out of your, your sequence. And I said, at the end of the day, you have to be the judge of what is best for you. Although I, my bias is that you would be a better surgical candidate, ultimately you must make that decision with your, your friends and family. <laughs> now, is there anything that, um, you know, like you mentioned how you do yoga, and um, obviously that is a symbol of a kind of a healthy lifestyle. Um, is there anything that your patients can do to delay a facelift? Oh, I think I think there are. I think basically, you know, think about the human face. There's so many muscles on there, and it reflects a myriad of of emotional tone. And if you think about the face in multiple layers, like much like an apple, we live in Southern California. We really are. We always instruct our patients: enjoy the sun, but don't let don't fry now and pay later. <laughs> so yes. Basic. Basic skin care is, is a must for any woman 30 and above, 20 and 30 and above. So sunscreen, um, some retinols, some of the hyaluronic acid products, which you know people are a little ambivalent whether they penetrate, but there are some very good hyaluronic acid products that can help with just uh, moisture retention, uh, controlling acneic tendencies so that we don't have um, to deal with the sequela of post-acne scarring. Um, as women get older, they can go ahead and, and add some of the antioxidants and some of the growth factors, which I'm still not really sure how well they work. Um, we can work on hyperpigmentation. Um, so those are all skin care options. Secondarily, if we work on um, so-called solutions to to address the middle layer, we try to use the neuromuscular toxins, so the Botox, and there are three different brands on the market now, to prevent um, etching of the muscles uh, where typically in the inner eyebrow area, the smile lines, and uh, those are very successful. And then thirdly, there are the, there's a whole host of um, so-called fillers which can restore that which, is, which normally disappears with age, weight loss, and uh, you know, wear and tear living. Thank you for listening in to the Aesthetic Insider Radio Show. This is your host, Angela O'Mara. Today we're speaking with board-certified plastic surgeon from Newport Beach, California, Dr. Lavinia Chong. We've been discussing um, natural-looking facelifts, and um, the second half of the show now, we're about to go into discussing more about mommy makeovers. Dr. Chong, thank you so much for being on the Aesthetic Insider Radio Show, and um, I'd love to hear more about the mommy makeovers that you perform. Well, I am a mommy. I know how the body changes with age. So, <laughs> I mean, it's personal. <laughs> and um, like anything, I'm fairly lazy fairest in terms of having women come. And um, I, I really love meeting with women and seeing how many of the contemporary women now are such healthy um, people that they exercise well into their third trimester. Their weight gain is very moderate. They are ready to, to essentially bounce back um, into resuming their, their multiple roles as, as a woman, as, a, as somebody who has a wife, and, and they're interested in, in restoring 
features which have been changed with pregnancy and or lactation. So typically a mummy makeover is a suite of operations designed to um, either increase volume or to to reposition the nipple areola complex so that it's not quite as um, droopy and then potentially to um, get rid of unwanted fat of the belly and perhaps tighten up the abdominal muscles which are stretched with the late pregnancies, refashion belly buttons, um, and pretty much also sometimes get rid of stretch mark skin. Now, stretch marks, obviously that's something that um, affects thousands and thousands, if not millions of people, and you know, particularly mums, uh, new mums. Um, what are you currently um, suggesting is a form of treatment for stretch marks? Gosh, that would be one of the, the holy grails. I pretty much <laughs> looked at one of those ones along with cellulite, and I, I honestly have my head scratched. Um, about 10 years ago, there was a modality which was suggesting that we should use selective ultraviolet um, light to go ahead and re-pigment the stretch marks, which really represent a thinning of the deeper layer of the skin because the skin is stretched at, an, at a rate which is, um, exceeds the ability of the skin to stretch without any kind of uh, a damage pattern. So, so all that did was just to give you a continuing source of um, recurring business and patients who are slightly dissatisfied because it never really completely ironed out the wrinkles on the skin. So, I mean, there have been things that have been tried, um, stretch mark creams, um, microdermabrasion. I think those are fairly okay if you have a, a, a very, very deep wallet and a, a, a very abundant imagination. But I think that's really a tough one, Angela. Uh, I, I don't think I can really tell you there's one modality that is you know, foolproof for all comers at this time. Is there anything with preconditioning that, that a patient can do to, you know, keep the skin moist or, you know, or is it just it depends on the patient? I mean, because I think some women, you know, you don't think are going to get stretch marks and and they do and others who you think might be more prone to them, you know, don't seem to have any problem. You know what, I do think, I do think like anything we do in plastic surgery, we're fighting genetics and as such we're fighting biology and that's a very steep fight. Um, you know, women who are now more active today, and that's what's so interesting about today's mothers, they are they're cognizant of their diets, they are working outside of the house, they're exercising, so their weight gain is necessary for the baby's safety, but they're not sitting around and, and getting buckets of weight on. So yeah. I think with that, that's, that's one thing, to be to have a healthy pregnancy, and obviously with the... Um, the advice of your of your obstetrician. There are, there's a host of sort of you know mummy my pretty mummy creams which people use, and I think to a variable extent they do work. Um, but again, I think it's mostly a question of genetics and and how your your environment works when you are when you're expecting. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so now with um, the mommy makeovers, for instance, would it be first-time moms that are coming to you for a, a mommy makeover or is it more a mom who has said, you know, I've had a couple of kids and I'm done now, I think, and, you know, I'm not going to have any more now. You know, I've tried everything with diet and exercise and I want to get my body, you know, you know, back to pre you know, maternity level or in some cases even better, you know. Uh, I mean, that's a slippery slope. I, I do think that a lot of young mums will come in and, and do something 
you know, and a mummy makeover, although it's defined as being breast and, and belly, sometimes, you know, a young mummy makeover could be something as a little bit of Botox because so you don't look quite so stressed when the kids are, are running circles around you. Okay, it's not um, necessarily on the body. It's, uh, yeah, the stress right, on the face. It could just be a small <laughs> pick-me-up. You know? yes. But I think the thing is that a true, a true mummy makeover is most appropriate for women who, who have finished their, their family planning. And that's something I always ask right out the gate because a woman can take a, a child to full-term pregnancy without any issues with a tummy tuck but there's there's a great certainty that a lot of her results will be undone so it's a it's a question of exposing yourself to risk and to you know potential the need to repeat this and the financial implications so you know i have had several who've had babies after their tummy tucks but they've all come back and sort of look a bit sheepish afterwards yeah, yeah. I thought they should have listened to you the first time around. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the family planning counsellor, but you know, it's just yeah. something that you should think about because, you know, pregnancy is a big stress test on any woman's body. And, um, you know, some pe- people can bounce back and other people, you know, tend to to, uh, to have that. It's mostly the muscular stretch on the abdominal wall muscles that will relapse. Yeah. And I, and I do think, too, I mean, I, mean, I too, am a mom of three children and you know, I, I think I definitely was a mom who was, you know, relatively fit after I had my first mm-hmm. child. But, you know, I had twins the second time around, and that kind of made a difference as well just in, you know, those muscles have already been stretched once. I mean, they stretch pretty quickly the second time, and, and in some cases, third, fourth time around. You know, so, yeah, it would make sense to especially delay something like a tummy tuck because one way or another, that those muscles have to stretch. It's good for the baby, perhaps not so much of the way we fit into our genes. Hello? I'm, I'm with you. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I uh, thought, you, I'm sorry, I missed what you said there, Dr. Chung. No, the, uh, the abdominal wall uh, tissue expansion, it, the, the stretch is so important for the baby's welfare, but it may make us a little bit frustrated about how we fit into our, our pre-pregnancy genes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So let me ask you a question now. With um, I mean, you live you know, and practice in Newport Beach. It's a beautiful destination. Um, and, and I know, you know, um, within the field of plastic surgery, um, many patients do travel for procedures. Do you find um, with the mommy makeovers that it's more local moms that come to you or is it destination moms that, that, that come to you for a makeover? I think with the the current influence of the internet websites, we're seeing people from from places that are diverse as as far west as as Hawaii and um, as far east as as probably Switzerland. But you know those are really a minority. Most of our mummy makeovers are are local women, and that has to do with the fact that if you are able to screen a patient and, and she's deemed a suitable surgical candidate. There's a quite a lot involved in, in recovering these women, lots of wound dressing changes. Um, and you know, it's, it's probably, in my mind, a little bit preferable if we have a patient who is local so that if we have, um, if they have questions, if they have concerns, they can just come in for a quick check. You know, we have a, tons of these internet HIPAA compliant patient portals, but it nothing quite substitutes to having people seen in real time. 
And then um, I understand, you know, you mentioned, you know, mainly English-speaking countries, I think, that patients would visit you from. But I do understand that you are fluent in both Spanish and in French. And has that helped you with patients traveling from a distance? Yeah, it's quite it's quite fun. You know, I studied abroad and I saw Spanish has always been a, a very useful language for me. And, you know, in California, I find that I've got quite a reasonable um, Spanish-speaking population of women and I think it's interesting because I think a lot of times not so much um, for the younger ladies but for the women who are in their 40s or 50s the men husbands and boyfriends were always much more comfortable with having a woman attend their their women who are going under elective um, surgery so it's um, maybe it's a place where gender bias actually works in my favor (laughs) That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I'd never, you know, we haven't really talked much about the male side of things. Um, and so that's interesting that they are more comfortable in that realm. Um, so let's just chat for a few minutes here on the, the male cosmetic surgery side of things. Um, do you find that you have more, um, that the men that come to you, do they find you on their own? Are they referred by their, you know, partners, wives, mothers, um how is that working for you at the practice? I think we, like many other practices, we've seen a kind of an uptick to, to male cosmetic modification. And of that, I'd still say it's a relatively small percentage of the cosmetic um, consumer. It's probably about 15 to 20%. And of that, say 15%, I would say about 30% is uh, referred by pre-existing girlfriends, wives, and I'd say about 70% is, is actually coming off the Internet, which is yeah. which is really baffling to me, but that's how they're, they're coming. Well, and they're well. very educated people who know what they want. Um, they're not, uh, they're, they're as neophytes. They're, they're men who are um, in business, and, and they're using it primarily just the same way as women are to to um, to keep their, their appearances and, and I know this sounds very shallow, but there is an age bias in this world. And um, when people appear to be well well kitted out, they they seem to to to, to get the business, or perhaps are a little less um, you know not not looked at. <laughs> yeah. What what would you say is is with the men that come to your practice is the most requested procedure? Probably eyelids. Okay. Um, because the eyelids, when they, particularly the upper eyelids, when they start to look heavy, you know, the, the comments are, "I look tired." People tell me I look I'm, like I'm, you know, not not uh, not in my game, on my game. So, you know, just a small crescent of skin, which we typically will take off the upper eyelid under straight local, gives them a, a very short recovery and and fairly good uh, return on their investment. Yeah, and I, I do think, you know, the eyes are definitely, um, you know, many people look tired when they're not. <laughs> you know? Correct, I think, correct. Especially with, with the man, an aged man is, you know, he looks tired. It looks like, you know, he's not sharp, he's not alert, he's not on his game business-wise. And, and I think that's very important to many of the men out there to, you know, project how they feel versus, you know, this this tired, age-looking man. 
And what would be the what would be you know outside of eyelid surgery would be the um, second most popular procedure for the men in your practice? Doing a lot of noses, which is interesting because um, these are men who will have rhinoplasties either by injection, which is which about ten years ago was considered heretical, but um, it's a way for us to use some of these longer-lasting hyaluronic acid products to allow a gentleman to see what what things look like without committing to going under the knife. And uh, it's a it's, it's sort of a try before you buy approach. Well, that's interesting. So, how would you how would you go about doing that type of a trial procedure? Well, typically we will take a full rhinoplasty, a nose um, set of pictures, and I have a little program I can just go ahead and morph it. So we just click it on the computer and just have people see which of their areas they would like to do. And mostly men in their 40s or 50s may have had a knock to the nose doing basketball or some other kind of athletics, and they have a small little hump. And so that's typically the most common common approach so that we can we can use the uh, pixelation to show to simulate reduction of the hump, and we can do that not by actually shaving down the hump, but by by adding, because when you add it, it creates the illusion of straightness in the nose, and so many people will try that. And um, the injectables that we use are fairly long-lasting. At least on the nose, we can get six to eight months. So I have a chance to go ahead and um, you know. Like it's equivalent to a woman stuffing her bra. That's great. And uh, it's a, it's just an option. So they can try before they buy, and then they have a good six months to kind of watch it and look at it, and just see if they want to make it permanent. It's very good for the dorsum, for the for the bridge of the nose. It's, there's really not a lot we can do for the tip, which is the area just above the nostril. So I'm in very clear in the recitation that this is only to to show alteration in the upper two-thirds of the nose. Well, Dr. Chung, it's been so fascinating to have you on the show, and we've we've covered more subjects than I expected to. Um, But I do don't want to say goodbye to you until you do let our listeners know how they can reach you, whether it's a telephone number or a website or an email address. How can our our listeners find you? We'd be happy to hear any, to take take calls from anybody at uh, 949-644-644. One four zero zero, or you can visit us on the web at www.chongchongmd.com. Dr. Chung, thank you so much for being on our Static Insider Radio, and um, I look forward to having you back on the show again sometime in the future. Thank you so much, Angela. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too.